Hey everyone, and welcome along to the Digital Culture Ideas YouTube show and podcast. This is a bit of a throwback from a few months ago when I did an interview with Lee Stevens on his Time in Motion podcast. I was episode number one. I um, hope you enjoy it. It's a bit of a candid chat between me and Lee. We talk about my career, um, how I got from A to B, um, all about AI and digital transformation and working for Microsoft. I hope you really enjoy it. Please like and subscribe, leave a comment. I'm always really keen to, to hear what you think and we'll see you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Time in Motion podcast with me, your host, Lee Stevens. For over 25 years, I've worked with businesses all over the world to improve the technology and the people within them. In this podcast, I share some of my experiences and I chat to guests who generously share their stories of how to, or in some cases, how not to live a productive life. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, Hilary, welcome. Hi, Lee. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Really good. Good to see you. Thanks for inviting me into your uh, your wonderful abode, your working abode for the first show. No problem. A pleasure. Great to have yeah. you here. And it's pretty snug here, right? So <laughs> <laughs> it is. So, so for, for the listeners listening in, uh, we, we were set up in one of the meeting rooms in uh, in Christchurch. And it was lunch run time, so it was lots of noise. So Hilary's like, I've just got just the thing for you. So we've got one of these fancy pods in uh, in your office, right? Yeah, no, it's like a only recording studio. It's perfect. Perfect. So Hilary, Microsoft, just tell me a bit more about who you are, what you're doing there, and then we're going to get into the interesting, juicy stuff. So yeah, tell us what you do. Yeah, cool. So I work for Microsoft, and I'm a technology strategist, which means basically I'm like a, a CTO, a chief technology officer, but for my customers. Um, so I kind of have a technology mentor role. So I work with the um, C-suite, and we talk about you know what they want to do, what they want to achieve. And they come to me with their sort of tricky strategic challenges, um, all their IT opportunities, and then we try and see how we can make that happen through Microsoft. Okay. And for those listening who probably might not know what a chief technology officer does, just just in a nutshell, explain what that that, that means. Um, means they're sort of leading the technology roadmaps. They've they've got an eye on the three horizons, as we like to call it. So looking at you know horizon one, what they have to do to just kind of run the business. Um, horizon two is about transforming the business, and horizon three is really pushing the boat out in terms of the future. How does the organisation's technology need to change and adapt? What new capabilities do they kind of need to develop as um, trends, technology trends happened? So we try and utilise those into the technology roadmaps. Amazing. Okay. Now, uh, before we really get into the juicy stuff, I'm allowed to ask one of the most Christchurch questions ever, and that's <laughs> what school did you go to? <laughs> nice. That is quite a Christchurch question, isn't it? Because um, actually I am born and bred in Christchurch, so I completely went to schools here. Um, I I feel really fortunate. Um, I, I did grow up with privilege, and so I went to some private schools here in Christchurch. I went to Selwyn House. And I went to Rangiruru. And so someone House, their motto was, I am, I can, I auto will. And then Rangi was uh, Carpe Diem, which is Seize the Day. Seize the Day, yeah. And I actually, I do feel like those mottos really impacted me in terms of what I thought I could achieve um, when I grew up. Um, so, yeah, I'm really lucky to have gone to those goals. Amazing. And, and so where did you grow up then? Um, so I grew up in the city, uh, basically around St Albans. So I'm a townie at heart, even though my... Um, Husband and I live out in the country now. We've got kind of a lifestyle block out there. 
Um, but yeah, so I grew up in Christchurch. Um, McDonald's was only a stone throw away. So that whenever we had any parties, you know, that's where people would come from. They'd come from McDonald's and then walk down to, <laughs> to our house for the party. We used to host a lot of parties growing up, me and my sisters. Amazing. And what was you like when you were younger? What was I like? I I do feel like I was a bit of a geek growing up, but I kind of, I don't mind that because for me, geeks are just people who are passionate about stuff. Um, so I was fairly academic. I was in like the top streams at school, but I had friends throughout all the different levels um, and classes at schools. I was the person who gave anything a go. So whether that be sport, and I did like netball, softball, even gave rugby a go for a term. Basically, I just wanted the jersey with my like surname <laughs> across the back. Yeah. Um, I was also the girl that did lots of science badges. I don't know if you remember them, but you know, you'd collect all these science badges from doing all this um, study and assignments, and then you'd like proudly wear them on the lapel of your blazer. So I liked collecting little gold stars, I guess. Um, and yeah, what else? I obviously fairly social in terms of the, you know, the parties and stuff that we used to have as well. So a bit of an all rounder, I'd say. Nice. Okay. And then if you think about, um, your, your early job, so I'm a big believer in those early jobs we have, um, even if it's a little Saturday job, like a paper round, et cetera, mm. they instill some really good values into us, right? You know, and, and actually we learn quite a lot in those roles. So tell yeah. us about your first job that you can remember. Uh, this is actually... This is a really interesting question for me. So, I mean, I did the babysitting jobs, absolutely. Um, but my first kind of paid jobs, like real jobs, was actually as a, a fashion model and a catwalk model. So I um, got into modelling between kind of 13 and 17 years old. Um, did these modelling jobs and that's how I learned to like apply makeup and how <laughs> to walk down a catwalk. So I had quite a bit of disposable money, let's say. So I was able to buy myself stereos and things like that for my bedroom. Um, but... Uh, yeah, other than that, the other type of jobs that I had were particularly in uni mm. um, as I worked at Muffin Break. So that's when I learned, you know, really hard work, um, you know, earning minimum wage, um, but hanging out with a bunch of cool people. Um, and then later on, it was uh, more like being a receptionist at a 24-hour surgery doing the night shift so that I could, you know, do the study for university during yeah. the day. And, that, and I think that's where you start to do the hard yards, right? I mean, as, as I say, I think one of my... Uh, Always say my one of my first jobs was in a shoe shop uh, in the UK, mm -hmm. and uh, I was only fourteen at the time. Like I remember my first manager telling me, "He's like, um, right, okay, some ladies are going to come in. They're going to ask for size five. Always give them the size six and tell them they come up short or they, they come up small." <laughs> and uh, and uh, I always remember him me doing that. And these ladies would come in like you know, a couple of weeks later, and they'd say, "Oh, thanks, mate. You was right about those shoes. They definitely come up small." And he's like, "Yep, yeah. he's always, you know, always, you know, manage their expectations." Interesting. And, so uh, letting yeah, that customer service. Yeah, customer the service and, and yeah, yeah and, and you know and it's just you know those little things um, and even there it was like upselling so you know when you sell a pair of shoes try and uh, sell one of those you know the sponges that you know the the polish up the the, the the yeah. shoes or the trainers, et cetera. But that was upselling, right? You know, we, we learn about that in business quite a bit uh, as we go on. So, yeah, I think you learn quite a lot, right, in those early days and certainly in those early jobs that you have. You know, some of the best skills you, you you can learn as an individual come from those those jobs, right? So I'm going to highly encourage my uh, my kids to go and do that, where, and I'm sure you'll do the same, right? Yeah, and, and, and learn what it's like to earn money. Yeah, and, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so uh, uni, did you do uni? Yeah, I was at Canterbury University here in Christchurch as well. Um, I did lots of different topics in my first few years, but ended up landing into organisational psychology. So that was all about the world of work. So leadership, culture, selection, recruitment. And yeah, that's kind of 
what I ended up doing first off um, out of uni. And then so after uni, I joined the Royal New Zealand Air Force doing a, a psychologist role with them, which was pretty cool. Okay. Pretty interesting job. Yeah, it was. There was, I mean, there was only about seven psychologists in the Air Force nationally. So I felt like it was a role that you got to do quite a bit kind of early on, sort of sink and swim. You know, you had to be advising command on some of their troops and performance and what was happening. Um, and also lots of exposure to standing up in front of people and speaking to them as well. So I think that's been really helpful. Yeah. Later on. And what kind of challenges would you would you typically see in the Air Force, obviously without getting into specific yeah, yeah. details? So they took a really holistic view of performance. And I mean, the Air Force and the um, Defence Force is just a big training organisation at the end of the day. Um, so it was all about supporting learners through their training. Um, so it could be things like uh, learning study skills or decision-making skills, like in the cockpit, for example. Or it might have been that they weren't doing so well because maybe it was a relationship with their teacher that wasn't going well. Um, or maybe there's stress happening outside of work and we're trying to look at the person in the round and help them get through their study because, I mean, we're investing so much in them. We want them to be really successful. So, yeah. Amazing. Okay. And then if we then sort of fast forward a little bit into, you know, other roles that you may have had since you left university, just talk me through some of the the highlights of your career uh, showreel. Yeah, I've, I've had a really diverse and eclectic kind of career. So certainly started in the psych space, um, did some consulting in Australia and the UK. Um, but in the UK, I make this kind of bizarre move into the security world. So I was working for a consultancy and they had a special relationship in with MI5. So, you know, James Bond, James Bond was in my six, but you know what I mean, it's that kind of spy world. And they wanted someone to focus on a project which was about building security culture. How do you make people care about security? It's usually a turn off for people. We tell them the messages over and over, it doesn't stick. Um, so I got to work with MI5, which was pretty amazing, I must say. Um, and then it's there that I really got the uh, security bug, if you like, because my next role post uh, MI5 was working for the 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games, running an information security program. So literally going from talking to people about it and advising them to actually having to do it myself, which is, as I found out, a completely different boat. And it's actually not that easy as you think it would <laughs> no, be. No. Actually, we have a connection there, but a lot of people don't uh, won't know this. So I, uh, I actually applied for a role at MI5 when I was uh, oh, a lot younger, right? Ah. And I actually managed to get I think through to about the third stage. Oh, wow. And so I did pretty well on observation and surveillance. It was just a surveillance yep. uh, uh, role. And I thought it was quite interesting. And obviously there was a lot of programs on at the time and did really, really well. And then they said, that's fine. You just got to do the driving test. I thought, no problem. I've got this. And the guy um, you know, gets you to drive around London, past Wembley, and you pass the, uh, the Buckingham Palace. I'm thinking, is this a test? Is he like, you know, trying mm. to, is he trying to catch me out here? And we got back to base and he's like, oh, sorry, Lee, but uh, you're, you're going to have to terminate your application as uh, you've got too many bad habits driving. And I'd only been driving wow. a bit for seven or eight years. And he's like, no, sorry, it'd take too long to, to, to get out of you. So I'm afraid that's it. Over. So my, my career as a spy was was over before it even started because of my <laughs> no. bad driving habits. But then I, I, I think that's how they teach you in London, right? If you're driving in London, it's brutal. So uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's really funny because as a psychologist, we're often involved in those kind of um, sorry selection processes um, with MI5, but then also the um, Air Force. And there was so many, um, you know, children's hearts who I had to break because they didn't end up being a pilot and getting yeah, through the, yeah. the selection. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's not easy. No, I, I bet. OK, 
States. So, so uh, um, did an OE in London. Did you enjoy your time in London? Yeah, yeah. London was great. You know, it's it's the thing of movies. You know, you are actually walking past all these monuments and buildings, which, you know, you've seen in movies. And, yeah, a great time to also do jobs which are crazy, like roles that, you, you know, we don't just have in New Zealand, these big complex roles. Um, and, yeah. But obviously, trying to translate that experience back into New Zealand can be a bit tricky. Yeah, and I, I, um, I have some quite strong opinions on this around uh, certainly in the workforce. Right, you can tell the people that have done the OE, um, mm. especially to London, and like, and I don't know what it is, but I mean, yeah, you know, I've been in nine years, so I'm yeah. practically a Kiwi, right? Um, but you, you, you can tell in the workforce those guys and girls that have have uh, worked overseas if they have that little bit extra about them little bit of extra cut and frost. I don't know. Do you, can you relate yeah, to that? Yeah, well, it certainly broadens their horizons, doesn't yeah. it? When you're exposed to different countries and languages and cultures yeah. and and also being over there, you, you're kind of just trying to survive yourself as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you yeah. know, usually you've got mates, but it yeah. is like you're away from your parents and you're, you're trying to live and work and keep things going. So actually when I went there, the Great Recession hit, so that was a real bummer. It took me a bit longer than I thought to get a 2008, job. 2008, was it? Um, yeah. yeah, around yeah. there, yeah. Around that time. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, and once again, I was saying this to, to, to a friend yesterday, is that um, as you get a bit older and a few grey hairs or lose the hairs, in my case, um, you remember the recessions, right? You remember mm. those tough times. I think that's all good stuff for us. Um, it instills some good good values in you because you appreciate that the the gravy train might not be there all, yeah. all the time, right? That's so so, true. so so cool. Okay, so you uh, came back to New Zealand and um, started a family like a lot, lot of yeah. people do, and yeah. um, and then so you uh, prior to Microsoft, just just tell me the, the couple of roles that you was doing before you got the the Microsoft gig. Yeah, sure. Um, so coming back to New Zealand, I went into kind of a risk management role because there was no information security manager roles at the time. Um, I did that with Airways, who is Air, um, New Zealand's air navigation service provider. Um, and then there I did some other roles as well whilst having babies. I seemed to like have a baby and then I'll come back and do a different role. So I did risk management and then I did kind of um, looking over security for Airways. And then I went into like a CIO role there. Yeah. Um, so for those that are listening overseas, which there'll be a few, just explain what Airways does and why they're so important and not just in New Zealand, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so Airways in New Zealand, uh, they're the people that have all the um, people in the towers who are directing the planes and making sure they don't crash into each other. Yeah, air, traf air traffic control. <laughs> air traffic control, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So someone told me it's uh, 3D chess is what they play. Yeah, true. That's actually a really good analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, obviously a super important role. And I yeah. guess I went back uh, into that because I had the aviation bug at some stage from the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Um, but after spending some time at Airways, I then, um, the next row after that, prior to coming to Microsoft, I was a Chief Information Security Officer yep. um, for Cordia Group. So that means I'm in charge of cybersecurity for the organisation and trying to make sure it's protected and, you know, that it doesn't get hacked and that we've got all the controls in place and yep. trying to make people aware of cybersecurity so that, you know, it can protect the organisation. Yep. And, and once again, does. I had to explain who Cordia were. Uh, I did an appalling job last week at a party. So just once again, for the listeners who probably might not know who Cordia are, I'll just explain who they are. Yeah, good point. So Cordia is a business-to-business -business telecommunications company, um, but like most um, telecommunications, telecoms organisations, they're kind of transforming themselves um, to be basically technology companies. So they do cloud, they do cybersecurity managed services, they actually do some other stuff as well, like maritime emergency communication. So they were definitely a bit of everything, which was cool, but also some unique 
cybersecurity challenges for me to look after. Absolutely. I would imagine there would be. And and then Microsoft. So tell me yeah. how that gig came about. Yeah. So um, I'd spent three years at Cordia, which was awesome, um, in that security position. And then I was thinking about what to do next. Um, and Microsoft had sort of been uh, in touch, shall we say, uh, for sort of half the time that I was at Cordia. And yeah. Microsoft had always been on my my list, if you like. And I guess, I mean, New Zealand's uh, quite close and tight-knit like that, right? So unlike like London and New York and in the States, where there's probably seven, eight degrees of separation, it's generally one right in New Zealand. So yeah. I'm guessing you probably were hanging around with, hanging out with those Microsoft guys and girls anyway, right? Well, actually, one of the first, well, one of the very early people that I interviewed on my, my podcast, The Digital Culture Ideas, was actually Sarah Bowden and Vanessa Sorensen. Yeah, Sarah's so great, yeah. Microsoft um, superstars. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I had some relationships and through them, but my whole my whole passion project around that digital culture ideas, I mean, that was all so Microsoft aligned, if you like, yeah. in terms of how's technology changing the future of work and yep. how do we empower people. You know, there was it was it was it's a really good kind of complement to my day job. Perfect. So um how would you describe your role at Microsoft as it sounds? What's it called and what does it entail? So it's that um, technology strategist. And it is that sort of CTO on behalf of my customer. So helping them <laughs> make sense of the Microsoft world in some respect, because, you know, Microsoft um, is large and complex. It's a big global company. There's lots of different teams and people who do different things. So I try and help my customers get the most out of Microsoft. Um, and kind of like a technology mentor is probably the other way I'd explain it. Yep. And is there a certain subset or type of customer? Because Microsoft has their sectors and yeah. categories, right? And they have all different acronyms for that. Yeah, but, so do you, do you look after a particular type of customer, a particular category of customer? I do, I do. I look after um, the enterprise commercial customers, so they're the, the big people in the market. Um, and my industry is telecommunications, so no surprises there, um, and gaming as well as okay. the other kind of part of the, the industry that I'm in. So, yeah, I mean, that obviously suits, um, given I used to work in a telco prior to coming to Microsoft. So Yeah. Okay. So, and then from a uh, from a layman's perspective, I must say we all have been to those barbecues and those parties. We have to try and explain what you do and we all do a, a horrific job. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I've, I've succeeded once. Um, but obviously gaming and telcos, et cetera. So um, the types of customers, enterprise customers, so mm. big, big customers in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, which might not always be big overseas, in, no, in, in Australia, but uh, or Australia or you know the UK for etc. But uh, big in New Zealand, right? Yeah, so a big big deal. And so, if we was to look at maybe the top three challenges that you're helping those businesses yep. solve, what what would those challenges be? That's such a good question. So I think the real large theme that we're seeing at the moment is how do we do more with less? You know, um, you know different organisations, like they're kind of looking at, you know, what's going to happen this year and some of the economic uncertainty. They're trying to tighten their belt. Um, and then so it's how do we, you know, optimise, if, if they're using the cloud, how, they, how do they optimise that? Um, what does their licensing kind of look like and how do they make sure they've got the right licences? So it really is... Um, doing more with less, but also with a firm view on the future. So, you know, just recently, you know, we have seen ChatGPT and, you know, OpenAI, um, you know, release some pretty amazing amazing capability in terms of generative AI. Um, well, lots of customers are really keen to learn about that because 
they are seeing it like, whoa, hold on, hold on. This this is massive. This is, you know, changing um, business models or how um, or building new capability in the organization that just wasn't there before. So yep. we're having um, lots of conversations around future looking and, you know, technology trends and definitely that generative AI is firmly in the view of the exec teams and boards. So so um, one thing I always think about the, the tech reporting uh, generally globally is it, it often pulls the wall over a lot of people's eyes. So the man or the lady on the street who just wants to know what this thing can do. Um, yeah. and, you know, you've taken SM, SMB like a small business. They're probably thinking, what's all this AI stuff? This is the, and I had an amazing quote from one about two years ago. He said, Lee, everyone's talking about artificial intelligence while I'm dealing with real life stupidity. So, <laughs> so, so he, and, he, and then I get it. He's saying, you know, obviously the AI stuff's a little bit too far away for for, for him. Mm. Um, but but what would be a practical usage of of some of these tools? Um, you know, that you could think of that that yeah. might help a, a small business or a medium sized business. So much, so many usages um, as individuals, but also as businesses as well. So um, what this type of technology is, it's basically a robot that you can talk to and inquire with, and it will give you information back. So um, and it'll be it's new information, like as in it's creating the response for you. And then you can inquire further and inquire further. Um, so, you know, gosh, businesses are using this, thinking about how they can use this for customer service. You know, maybe they've got um you know, a customer service crew, and maybe a lot of the workload can be taken away from them using this generative AI processes. Um, they're looking at how they can use it for knowledge management. You know, we, we lose so much knowledge out of organisations when people leave, but, you know, if all of that information or data was there and then you could actually inquire some of that knowledge management through a generative AI, like that, that would be huge for an organisation in terms of productivity and efficiency. Yeah. Um, you know, if, I'm sure people are thinking about how they can use it to write board minutes yeah. <laughs> um, and even kind of basic things like that. But yeah, it's um, it's huge. And I think it will impact so many different sectors, you know, education, um, every sector really. I just think it's it's going to be a big thing. Now, I have to say, I'm not talking on behalf of Microsoft when I talk about ChatGPT. Yeah. I'm not aligned to the product development teams. Yeah. Um, but I'm certainly experiencing it like like everyone else is in terms of trying it out. Yeah, my opinion on it is that um, it's actually going to replace a lot of those mundane labor-intensive tasks. So if you can think about the amount of times we have to set up an account, you know, a Microsoft mm. account, you know, yeah. from IT or HR saying uh, for the 50th time that week, oh, we get paid on the 17th of every month or uh, you've got 23 days leave left or that kind of thing. And, and you know, and, and it's death by a thousand cuts quite yeah. a lot of time in businesses. So we talk about workplace productivity, but those kind of mundane, uh, which we might be mundane to some people, but certainly, uh, you know, there's labor intensive tasks that are taking up a heap of time that, that the systems could do a better job of. Then I think that's what, and it will free people up to do other things, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So security is obviously a big uh, passion of yours, mm. and, and um, you know it's it's probably the, uh, probably in the top three of most businesses in terms of their IT yeah, spend totally. as well. Yeah. You know, digital transformation and customer uh, experience, etc. But security. So once again, if we were to explain what the big security issues and challenges are for most New Zealand and Australian businesses at the moment, T tell us what those security challenges are. I think, um, now this is kind of new, some new thoughts that I've had, but I actually think organisations, while, like you said, they're spending more on security than they have, I do think we're losing uh, attention 
of the exec and the boards with cybersecurity a bit because we've you know we've been talking about it so much with them and all the you know um, fear and um, you know that's put into that. I think they're I think they're getting a little bit over it. And also, I think the other thing that's happened is a lot of boards and execs are focused on survival or. COVID or, you know, um, any other kind of natural disasters which have been happening at the moment as well. So I think one of the things for organisations um, is actually trying to maintain that airtime with the exec to make sure that they are getting the budget they need for security is number one. I think supply chain supply chain risks are also huge as well. You know, we we're fairly good at looking after our own stuff, but actually nowadays um, our environments or our business environments are made up of so many vendors and suppliers and things like that as well. And it, mm. it is tricky and it's extra hard work to maintain some of those supply chain and the risks that could happen there. Yep. Like I think you know when we're looking at some of the cyber attacks that are coming out, it's happening in the supply chain, not necessarily in the in the business itself. Um, and lastly, I think just the number of zero days and, you know, vulnerabilities that are coming out thick and fast, like IT teams and security teams are just getting them rammed down their throats so much. Mm. And so I think that's really tricky in terms of the workload of security teams and probably burnout and stress as well, because inevitably they seem to happen on a Friday um, and carry through the weekend. So yep. yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. And I think the other thing I find is a lot of people still think it's IT's problem. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, if we got hacked, but they won't think that it was probably because uh, X amount of people shared their password over the internet or mm. you know, did some classic, you know, uh, um, classic, I suppose, common mistakes. I suppose then on that note, what would you say the the common mistakes or the, you know, the, the reasons why security challenges happen? Is there some common ones that most people need to be aware of? Yeah, I think... I think because of convenience, sometimes people just don't put all the security controls in place that they should, like really simple stuff like multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication. Yeah. So that's when you get your text message or your your authentic, your, your separate app to put a code and in, And you've right? got to approve yeah. the um, transaction, if yeah. you like. Like I think people are still just not doing things like that. Too hard, right? Yeah. Um, and then, and, but also I think this starts quite early in life because I've been chatting to quite a few parents recently around cybersecurity and they're just like, oh, I just need someone to come in and set it up in our house. Can you just, you know, is there anyone, who can I speak to that can just come in and program all the computers so that they're being supervised by a parent account, you know, making their Wi-Fi have the appropriate filters to filter out kind of bad information. And so I think even though we think we're much more digital now than we ever have been and we are, I still think there's some work to go to keep up with the pace of technology change um, that, you know, parents and, and everyone are, are struggling with, let alone organisations. Mm. And what, what do you think the biggest threat to New Zealand businesses is at the moment? Hmm. That's a goodie. New Zealand in particular. Yeah, Australia, Australasia maybe. Hmm. Um, I think it's just that the the cybersecurity and the cyber criminals tooling is just getting better and better and better. And it's it's not we're just not safe in the way that we kind of thought we were mm. um, because things are constantly scanning the Internet and looking for open holes. Um, so I think just keeping up with that arms race is, is one of New Zealand and other countries struggles as well. Yeah. OK, so if we think. Looking forward, with the, the whole purpose of this podcast is around business productivity and yeah. personal productivity. Okay, so as a role at Microsoft, mm. I would imagine things would be a little bit different from a 
but workplace productivity. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, before we kind of get into some some tips that we may, may, might be able to share, what have you noticed that's different from about Microsoft compared to maybe some of the other organizations? You know, was there like a few that's things? That's a great question. So clearly we have fully embraced things like Microsoft Teams. Um, I'm finding in, in Microsoft we're doing a lot, a lot, a lot of asynchronous collaboration. So people really use the chat functions. They're using the emoji functions as well during meetings, like way more than I've ever seen people um, do it previously. Um, like even after a briefing or a, um, you know, a learning session finishes, for weeks after, people will still be asking questions in the chat mm. and then the presenters are like responding back. So I think that kind of asynchronous kind of learning and collaboration is, is really big at Microsoft, which is kind of cool. Um, and most of the leadership sessions they have, like the town halls and things like that, um, they're they're really open. So it's it's they don't use lives as much so that you can actually ask questions to the leaders and get responses and things like that. So yeah, they're embracing digital communication. And was there anything like in the early days or the first few weeks where you just went, whoa, this is massive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, don't realize, don't I did. That. I certainly did that. Um, the The amount of learning is just huge. Um, so they've got a really structured onboarding program, which is great, um, but there's a lot in it because we're also you know, looking at um, global legislation and regulations that we've got to um, abide by. Um, yeah. But in addition to that, Microsoft is like this massive research unit. And so you can go down rabbit holes of the metaverse and there's communities of people working on that and mm. you can talk to them and watch videos about that. Or if it's rockets and space that you're interested, then you go off over here. So it's it's kind of amazing, just the amount of information available um, and support available if you want to get into a subject. You can just fill your boots. Yep. And do you think that um, it's different working for a business, you know, global business that size um, compared to some of the other ones, the bigger ones? Because, you know, you've yeah, worked with some big businesses, Yeah, this is my first right? global, yeah. So, yeah. for sure. So um, what's different about working for a global business like that? Um, I think while there's a lot of resources and communities, it's, it is more confusing <laughs> because there are literally subject matter experts in different parts of the world that you connect with. You can connect with if you need to. Um, so, and that just means there's more people. So, you know, one of my, my main goals was to like get in and make relationships like crazy because yep. trying to learn who does what, who are the people that can, you know, help me in my career or help me with my customers. There's just, it just feels like a lot. And, you know, there's days where I'm like, oh man, I'm not sure I've got this. Like, this is so huge. Yep. And then a couple of days later, I'm like, oh no. I think I'm, I'm going to have this. This is okay. I can sort this out. But it is a bit of a roller coaster in terms of just dealing with the complexity that, you know, you can be kind of faced with. But it's also exciting as well, right? And one of the things I'm, I'm really enjoying is having super charismatic leadership, you know, that's um, in Australia and New Zealand. And there's something so exciting about, you know, being really energized by a leader and being like, yes, great. Yep. So that's been really cool. Amazing. So if we look at... Um, some of the challenges the businesses you work with experiencing on a day-to-day -day from a productivity sense. Yeah. What would you say they are? I I think um, I think most businesses are struggling with having the capability uh, to to do the day job, yeah, but also do the extra projects that they need to do to transform as businesses, and so that they don't become irrelevant. 
Um, I think that they're just so busy working away on the day-to-day and there's been all these kind of, um, you know, crisis, crises um, happening at the moment that they're yep. struggling to look up and out to what they need to do to progress the business. But if we talk about, like, from a technical uh, perspective, they have some yep. initiatives that they're, you know, they're working on to, yep. to be more productive because that's the reason businesses exist, right? To, yeah. To drive uh, profitability and or, or to drive the, uh, the the main objectives of the organisation. So if you look at, um, yeah, if you look at some of those enterprise businesses that you work with, what are some of the big initiatives that are, you know, some of the trends that we're seeing in, in that space from a, from a tech yeah. perspective? Well, I think we're seeing way more automation um, of businesses and even just like an individual's work. Like there's so many low-code, no-code tools now that people can actually make themselves more productive um, if they've got the space to, to do it. Mm. Um, so that they're, you know, I've, I've seen um, lots of businesses thinking about how they can create dashboards so that they can really monitor what is happening and make sure that they're focusing on the right things. Um, and... Yeah, that's probably the main one I'm saying. It's just that need for for more automation of the the current business, simplifying their technology landscape, so there's not like all the technology debt going on. And, and do you, do you typically get involved once they know the technology they want to go with? So if you look at um, I don't know, like a a big retail chain which you may or may have under under your belt so they might say oh you know really struggling for customer satisfaction to improve that so we might look at look at um you know a crm system to better better voice of the customer that that kind of initiative or is it maybe you know uh we need digital transformation which always jokes a new finance system right so (laughs) (laughs) so, oh we're doing digital transformation now you're getting you're getting a new finance system but is it you know is there once again is it like you know because a few years ago it was was all erp it was all dynamics Mm. it was all finance systems because I guess there was so much technical debt from from a lot of businesses. You know, they just hadn't invested in those systems, and you know, probably about five or six years ago, things kicked into place. So, are you seeing some trends in you know, in terms of and are they are they coming to you once they've decided what technology they want, or is it generally agnostic advice and you go, we either can or can't help you? Yeah, um, so it's coming in early, basically, in their initial kind of thoughts and strategies and listening to what their the business outcomes they are trying to achieve. And then I guess from a te- Microsoft perspective, thinking how about it can be fulfilled through the Microsoft stack because obviously we're yeah, from obviously. Microsoft. <laughs> um, but also, you know, we work with lots of other vendors and things like that as yeah. well. So it can be not just Microsoft, but Microsoft partners and vendors and things yeah. like that. Yeah, and I, I thought that was... Um, Really interesting, actually, how uh, Satin Nadella's kind of changed that strategy. You know, he, mm. Once again, 10 years ago, it was like, no, it's just Microsoft. Yeah. Whereas now he's like, no, no, we'll play nicely with Salesforce. We'll play yep. nicely with SAP and you know, we'll have those other those other big players. And uh, I was actually at a conference in the States in September, and they talked about you know vertical SaaS and uh, horizontal SaaS, right? And what they're saying is that, yeah, okay, Microsoft and Google and other vendors might be that, that, um, you know, that horizontal, um, but we're quite happy the to platform. play nicely with those vertical providers like yeah. people like HubSpot spot you know for crm or you know whatever tool solves a specific business problem and so yeah i think that's been quite interesting yeah. to see how microsoft's evolved in, in that sense playing nicely yeah. with those those other players okay so um you mentioned your manager is that right have we got a, have we got a team or do you have a team anymore no i don't okay, have a team anymore. no okay. i'm a technical leader now okay um how's that feel not having yeah, a team <laughs> it's it is different i do love people management um but what i do find in my current role because it's all about orchestrating things so that through microsoft i'm dealing a lot with virtual teams um, and so some of that will be you know coaching and mentoring or um, you know trying to find the put the right person in the right role bounce things off so there's a lot of leadership that I am doing but not a line manager currently okay and so what would you say 
from your time as a leader and as a manager, um, what would you say the biggest productivity kind of um, faux pas or, or you know, hmm. uh, things that people could do better? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think t- what can make teams really work super well is when their work is visible to each other. Um, so I'm a big proponent of teams using um, collaboration tools and Kanban boards, you know, whatever the tool is that works best for what they're doing, but so that everyone can see the work and see it, see it progressing and, and moving through. Um, it's very hard to lead and manage what you can't see, right? So I think that's, yeah, really important. Okay. Um, and one thing I have noticed about you, and this is meant with the nicest possible intent, is sure. a personal brand. Okay, so mm. um, I'm a big believer that people should spend more time on personal brand because when it's you, right? You only get one stab at this thing called life, and so yeah. let's tell more people about who you are, and what you do. Right? So, so I'm all right in saying you've you've paid particular attention, right, to building a, a professional and a brand that that can help others as well. Because I don't I don't think for one minute it's just about you. You're obviously doing it to, to help others, right? So so tell me some of the tips you'd give for people who are obviously trying to build that brand and, you know, go about their business, let more people know about what they do. What what, what would you say the, the top tips there are? Yeah, I, I do think it is really important because um, like you said, you've actually got a personal brand whether you know it or not, but so you may as well input into it. Um, so my top tips are would be things like give things a go, like try not to worry or stress too much around uh, you know the actual words or the images so much, but making sure you're putting content out there. Um, only put things out there though that you think should be out there as well, if that makes sense. So it should be kind of good or useful thinking about, you know, your audience in mind. Um, and I think also, you know, people don't realize that there's lots of different types of like even just posts, for example. Um, there's posts which are credibility posts and, and that's all about, you know, you showing your knowledge of something like here's my three strategies for XYZ, project management or whatever it might be, cybersecurity, protection. Um, there's, but then there's also posts around your credibility, sorry, your character as well. So those posts that let people know a little bit about you as a person. Um, there's posts around curated knowledge. Um, so that's something I've gotten really into at the moment where um, if I find an interesting article or a different you know, point of view or blog, then I'll push that out to my audience. Um, and I started doing that not just through the social platforms, but I've got like a tech service now which I'm using, which is kind of cool because it feels really intimate, like I'm pushing this information directly to people's phones rather than through a social media platform. And I'll give some kind of news and views on that. Um, so, yeah, I think if you can learn what the different types of posts are, then, you you know, you, you feel like you've got more options. And the sales type of post, which is the one that we probably see the most on LinkedIn, which mm. people kind of hate, you know, seeing, um, that's the one that you should do way less often than the others. Like, you know, every three to six weeks and the other the other types of posts you might be doing a couple of times a week because it is, a you know, it's a turn off when people do the ask, right? But you've got to do it. You've got to do it nonetheless but just yeah pull it back not asking the whole time and i think that that's probably one of my um uh one of the things i notice quite a bit especially on linkedin so linkedin's for for most business people is probably the channel Mm, yeah you know there's there's obviously other socials out there but especially on linkedin i'd hazard i guess that probably 80 percent of the people that work for a, a consultancy or a vendor it's still that um, that kind of post. So it's yeah. like, oh, look at how this amazing thing we built on 
product X or product Y, rather than saying, well, we actually solved this business problem and it just happened to be that, you know, product Y and product, you know, they lead with the tech. And I think yeah. that's one thing that I think overseas, I see a lot of businesses do really well. Like Microsoft are very good at that. You know, you, you hear about the business problems they're solving and, and there's other like, people like Google, et cetera, you know, but I think for those, maybe for those, some of those partner businesses, some of those vendors haven't quite grasped it yet from the market. It's look, look how great we are. Look at the amazing tech. Oh, and by the way, we solved a business problem. You know, it's just, it's yeah, the wrong way around. you scroll through those pretty fast in your yeah, news you feed, right? Yeah. yeah, so educate, entertain, and inspire, right? That's generally what, what we get told told to do. Um, okay, and talk, so talking to channels, tell me what channels work for you from, a, you know, from sharing the gospel, sharing the knowledge about what you do. Um, I'm on lots of different platforms, so definitely LinkedIn. That's uh, where I kind of started. Um, but I'm also on Facebook. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Discord, um, Instagram. I'm not kind of – I don't – I just go wherever I think the attention might be and I'll give all those a go because I also know that over time like LinkedIn may disappear and something else will raise up um, and I want to make sure that I'm positioned across. And, and part of digital culture ideas is that it's not just for a certain niche um, of audience either. So like I really want to make sure that I'm speaking to young people as well as you know professional career people as well. Yep. So yeah, and then I've, uh, podcast and YouTube and yeah. I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you um, do you find that you repeat the same message um, just on multiple different platforms, or do you tailor the message you find as different audiences? You know, for, so a different audience type on TikTok, yeah. so they might be on Instagram, then they might be from LinkedIn. Do, do you tailor that accordingly? Yeah, I do try and tailor as much as I can. Um, I think that is really important because you have a completely different personality when you're on one platform versus the other. Like LinkedIn is very professional. Um, TikTok's a bit more fun, more informal. Um, you know, has more stickers and flashy things, you know, in, in the little videos that you create. So definitely tailoring is optimal. Have I always tailored though? No, you know, um, sometimes you just got to, you know, get things out as well and your life kind of goes up and down with everything else you're trying to manage. Yeah. And it's a it's a passion project for me. So it's just something I enjoy doing in my yeah. spare time. And do, do you um, use some of those distribution tools like, um, is it Hootsuite? And no, tools? no, no. I feel like I should though right. because I'm at that point where um, it is becoming more time consuming. That said, I have noticed that LinkedIn now has a scheduling function, mm. which I'm completely in love with. That because yep. that, that means you can kind of push it out at 10 a.m. Yep. and you know, but you've done you maybe you've set it all up in the weekend, so that's super handy. Yeah. And who is your audience? Would you say? Um, oh, my audience actually is super varied. So You've got very defensive, Deborah. <laughs> I'm crossing my arms and everything. I just want to be there for everyone. Um, yeah, my audience is there's a lot of it's male and female. It's technology people. It's cybersecurity people. Sometimes it's early career cybersecurity people. Sometimes it's later career people as well. Um, I'm obviously not catering to the audience of my children, though, because when they tell me that they want to be YouTubers or gamers or YouTube gamers, I'm like, great, I'm a YouTuber. I can show you how to do that. And they're like, oh, mum, but your channel is boring. So I'm obviously not hitting that market. Boring at the moment. moment. They, might look, they might look back <laughs> in years to come and get a few tips out of it, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, amazing. So um, – uh, if we look on a personal productivity, so mm. like all of us, we we have to juggle yeah. uh, family life, we have to juggle professional life, and all the other clubs and associations we're, we're, we're you know we're in. So yeah. so how do you do that? 
My main tip there is I try not to judge myself on a daily basis in terms of what I've been able to achieve or what I haven't been able to achieve. Um, obviously, I've got responsibilities across my day job, my family, friends, and then the passion project on the side. Um, instead, I try and judge myself across the month, and, I'm, and I'll be like, okay, over the month, have I done the responsibilities that I need to achieve in all those different areas? So I kind of I'm kind to myself in relation to productivity, productivity and what I what I get done. Um, I also go with my energy levels as well. So, you know, there'll be times when I'm super productive and I'll be up and in the morning or working late at night and then there's other times when I don't have as much energy. So I kind of go with my natural flow um, of energy. Um, in terms of organising, like my, my content, say, for example, I do like to use tools to do that, um, be that Kanban boards. Um, I actually have notebooks and things like that as well, which I quite like writing in because I love stationery. But <laughs> um, yeah, they're my main kind of tips in terms of productivity. And then I think my, my biggest one is just do something. Sometimes you just got to do something and then see how it pans out. Take the action. Don't wait. Like don't wait to be the person you want to be. Think just just do it now, if that makes sense. And sometimes you've got to make that action or that decision from from your dream or aspiration. You know, if you want that dream or aspiration, make the action from there that you should be doing next because sometimes you might be feeling unconfident and if you make the action from your unconfident self, you'll only take a little step, if that makes sense. So make your your actions uh, come from your dream and let that lead you. And what, what do you do when you do get overwhelmed? Because that's just natural, right? Especially, as I say, in the busy lives we lead. So yep. when you are, you know, feeling it a little bit and you're overwhelmed, what do you do? Yeah. Well, if anyone has seen my YouTube, I do a lot of dog walking. So they're always appearing in the back of my videos because that's when I'm multitasking and getting my my content made while I'm walking my dogs. Um, but otherwise, it's I'll just um, – I do love family time. Like, like I'm really busy during the week with work and everything that I'm doing, but the weekends it's kind of nice to just slow down and have that family time with my husband Tom and kids and just focus on them. Yep. Okay. Um, so one thing that we hear quite a lot about in, in New Zealand is, is, um, growing that future talent, right? And this mm. is one thing I know you're definitely passionate yep. about from the content you, you've, you've put out. And I have a few opinions on this. Um, yeah. I think we, we do really well in New Zealand to create the technical talent, not so well, maybe on some of those, uh, the consultant, you know, softer skill type, yeah. type, type roles. Okay. And obviously there's no academy that you can go to, right. Or, you know, there's no school that you can go to Sally off that, that, that comes with experience. So, um, if we look at some of the challenges we've got in New Zealand for growing talent, um, what mm. would you say, what would you say some of those, those challenges are we've got? Yeah. Cause there's some pretty scary uh, stats aren't there around, for example, even just the number of cybersecurity people that we need in the future and we don't have. Um, I I love helping people. So there are a number of people that I mentor um, and sometimes that looks different depending on what the person needs. It might be one meeting with them, going through their CV and giving them some tips or it could be like an ongoing relationship. We meet every six weeks or so. Um, I think... Definitely giving your time to other people is, is one way to help. In terms of the bigger environment and the bigger scale, it's it's really, I guess, the collaboration of businesses and organizations so that, you know, we're not just teaching them the technical things, but actually putting them into organizations where they're getting that work experience. Um, it's, it's a really tricky one. And I think we probably need to be a bit more diverse in terms of 
the types of people that we think can do technology roles because it's not just technical technology roles that exist. There are, you know, it's a plethora of them. It might be um, even like a sales support person working on, you know, selling technical products is a technology role or um, a project administrator administrating, you know, technical projects. Like we need to really just in, um, widen the view of what a technology role actually is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've probably an example of that. I think, um, you know, I, I was... Uh, in sales quite a lot when, in my early career and um, end up doing sales in IT and a bit of IT recruitment and you become like a sponge right and before mm. you know it you actually know quite a bit about the technical stuff but you can actually transfer a lot of those sales skills and those people skills into the tech environment especially these days right where mm. we actually don't build a lot right you just turn a button on it it's there mm. right especially in the Microsoft world right yep. <laughs> so uh, so I think having having some of those like, softer skills is, is going to be be really important I think going, going forward for, for a lot of, lot of businesses Um one thing I've seen you post a fair amount about is, is women in tech. Yes. So tell me why that's important. Well, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Like, that's just so true. And I guess as I was building my own uh, personal brand up, you know, you feel a lot of responsibility to make sure you're not just, you know, going through the door yourself, but you're holding it open for other people. Um, and I've felt a lot of, you know, what, other people, you know, like that fear or judgment of yourself or um, maybe I'm not technical enough or, you know, all of those challenges or mindset that we have ourselves. I mean, I've, I've experienced that. So, you know, if I can talk to someone else and make and just tell them to do it anyway, you know, be her now, don't yeah. don't wait, um, then, you know, I hope that does help. And Microsoft in particular are massive around um, diversity and inclusion and they have a, you know, 10K Wahini program on at the moment where they're trying to upskill 10,000 New Zealand woman uh, into technology roles and then they're actually looking at trying to place those um, people into organisations as well. And why, why do you think it is that we still don't see as many women in those tech work. I mean, and, I, yeah. and I, I'm just basing it on the stats that you see quite regularly, right? And so we, we talk a lot about it and there's some great initiatives out there and some amazing people like yourself who are obviously talking about and really promoting uh, you know, tech as a career. Mm. But we still are not, in my opinion, we're not seeing as much progress as you probably would have, would have expected. Yeah, so so why, why do you think that is? I have thought about this a lot myself and I think we, I think we are doing a better job of attracting women and, uh, you know, other um, ethnicities into technology, which is great. Like, you know, we are seeing the university courses filled with basically 50-50, if not slightly more women than men, um, which is amazing. But I think we struggle to keep them in the workforce later on. Mm -hmm. um, and and part of that is could be themselves, like because they're thinking, you know, I want to have a family and how does this work in this technology field, which is changing so rapidly, you know, how, how am I going to keep up and have a family as well? Um, so maybe we haven't got the support around them that means helps them stay in the workforce and come back into the workforce. It's just a baby, you know, it's not an illness or anything. You can <laughs> have one and then come back to the workforce. Yeah. Um, so I think we've still got some way to to go in terms of kind of the system itself, if you like, with everyone everyone playing ball to make sure that we do encourage people um, back into the workforce after they're having families and things. Okay, and then for 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 some people that maybe listening who've got some daughters that are, you know, myself included, who are yep. starting to show a bit of interest in in tech, and you know, generally showing a natural ability. Often, it's early, mm. you know, well, actually, an interest. Obviously, a lot of the time, it's uh, it is that. So, what advice would you be giving you know someone like my thirteen year old daughter that was maybe thinking about this as a as a potential career or you know, or something that she wants to pursue? 
Yeah, my, my advice would be that the whole world is going digital, so you should definitely be thinking about, you know, how how to be um, in, the, in that digital world. Um, my other advice is, but just remember, you know, you don't have to choose just one thing. It doesn't have to just be technology or just be um, accounting or whatever it might be. You can do all of those. Um, one, because all of them will be enabled through net, through tech, I do believe, but also you'll change what your opinion is of your career in terms of what you're interested in, your come in, into subjects and out of subjects and I think if you go more of with the experimental kind of um, mode or, or personality give things a go if you don't like it change it tweak it like that's not an issue um, I think that's probably my biggest career advice is be many things be as many things as you want to be okay good advice all right so um, as we kind of come towards the end of this interview just a few more questions for you um, one question I always like to ask people is is what would you go back and di- do differently? So if you could go and give 21, when you're Hillary, mm. some advice. Yep. What would that be? Yeah. It would be, <laughs> it would be ask the question, don't assume the answer is just no. Um, so back when I was at university, I uh, did my um, psychology degree and then I was going on to do my master's and I was already looking at the Air Force at that stage and my dad was like, you should go ask the Air Force if they'll pay for your master's. And then I was like, oh, okay. So and then I looked up on the website and it said, oh, they only pay for engineers, people wanting to be pilots and something else. I was like, oh, sorry, Dad, no, they don't pay for psychologists. And so I didn't ask the question. And then I uh, finished my master's, got into the Air Force in my first year, and then the student wrote to the director of psychology and sent her a letter and said, oh, look, I'm really interested in psychology in the Air Force. Will you pay for my master's degree? And, you know, then I can come work for you afterwards. And she said yes. And with that that one decision cost me thousands and thousands of dollars. Like I could have got, you know, my master's paid for it, but I just assumed the answer was no and I didn't ask the question and I just cancelled myself out of that, you know, potential opportunity. Okay. And then finally, um, if we look at the you know, next few chapters in your in your career and your life, you know, what, any thoughts around what that might look like? Yeah. <sighs> That's a really interesting, because obviously I've just started with Microsoft, so my head's very much in that space. Um, Might be personal, you know, what's what's the yeah. future? What's the future hold for Hillary? I I want to um, personally, then I want to really keep doing my digital culture ideas stuff. Like I get so much joy out of doing that piece of work, um, and I. <sighs> My next thing is probably having a really good think about what the hell that is <laughs> and what <laughs> Tough, I'm going to develop right? it into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know we spoke about this sort of offline, but thinking about, you know, maybe maybe it's just an opportunity to speak to someone to help me kind of figure out where it's going yeah. and what I mean, it could be. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I, someone who kind of uh, – who so has utilised has utilised a coach for about eighteen months now, mm. and um, I think it's probably it transforms the way you think about things. And as as I said to you, you know, when we had a quick chat, um, they don't have all the answers. You have to that has to come from within, and so <laughs> they 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 give you a good coach. They'll give you all these questions, and you're like, oh, 
Oh, I don't know the answer. Well, I thought you were paying you to tell me, but actually that's how it should be, right? Still you know, got to do the hard work. You yourself, have, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I think, as I said, you know, the, the whole point of this podcast is is around productivity. But to do that, you've got to get the career tank full. You've got to get yeah. your, your family tank full. You've got to get your wealth tank full. Those four tanks that we typically talk about, you know, that we're all aspiring to, you, you never get them full at the same time, right? You, no. Generally, one's less than the other. Or, you know, if you can get them sort of balanced, then you're, you're kind of winning. But Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, but the reality, reality is we don't. Okay. All right. So um, thank you so much, Hilary. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been uh, been really, really great to catch up with you and uh, really look forward to seeing how your progress at Microsoft goes and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Awesome. Thanks, Lee. Take care. Cheers, Hilary. So that's it. First show wrapped up and on air. Really enjoyed talking to Hilary. Want to say a big thank you to her for making the time to speak with me on my first show and really enjoyed listening to how she's carved out a fantastic career for herself and all the help that she's giving others in the community and New Zealand and Australia, uh, some of the um, the knowledge that she's gained along the way. So thank you, Hilary. Really appreciate it. Now, if you would like to be a guest on this show, please don't be shy. Please get in touch. My email address is lee at leestevens.co. That's lee at leestevens.co. Uh, get in touch. I'll get back to as many people as I possibly can and we'll start lining up some future guests for the show. If you do know anyone that's got a, a good story to tell as well about how they've been a, a, a living a productive life, why I've been the best, <laughs> best, uh, most productive person they can be and they can share some some of that wisdom with our, with our listeners, then we'd love to hear from them and get them on the show. So yeah, please get in touch with me. In the meantime, please do like and subscribe to the show if you liked the first episode and we'll continue to create episodes like this and would love to hear the feedback on how the first one went look forward to hearing from you and uh, enjoy the rest of your week